Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and oh my goodness, it's such a good conversation today. I love the title of today's show because it's something we all need to hear. You are amazing, but you hold back. It's the title of this episode because the three stories that today's guest shares represents the sentiment of this so well. Zane Zambalan is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. But what you really need to know about Zane is the impact he's had on others, as you'll hear in his stories, just by being who he is and paying attention to what's needed in the moment. Listen in as we talk about recrafting when what you've planned isn't what's needed. And check out how Zane encouraged a leader he was mentoring to renegotiate to accomplish her dreams and goals. He's such a great storyteller, so no doubt you'll learn a lot through his example. Check it out. I've had a 27-year HR career, 24 years in IBM, a little about almost two and a half in Cancer Treatment Centers of America. But my journey with risk and learning and a growth mindset started before that. I referenced personal. I lost my parents when I was eight years old. So my mom passed, my dad had a car accident, and it left him disabled. So I grew up with my grandparents. And then I lost my dad later on, a couple of years later, to lung cancer. So I grew up with my grandparents, and that really grounded me in a work ethic, a set of virtues, and honesty, and an integrity. And I've tried to employ those throughout my career, which then takes me to kind of that journey, right? So 24 years in IBM, always trying to strive for more, look outside of my comfort zone and do the things that needed to be done, but maybe weren't always, and just experiment, explore risk, which led me to Sweden for an assignment. And then later on to Japan for three years, which it's hard to get much further out of your comfort zone than going from a a life in America to three years in Japan and trying to add value and make a difference. Wow. What was that like for you? That was a major transition. It was challenging. My predecessor there was very good, uh, had made inroads into the business. So it was coming in behind somebody who was strong with a good platform and then trying to grow and groom it further. It was easy to get and fall into a comfort zone, which I recognized early. There is a predominant American community within Japan, and I wanted to avoid that. So for the first 18 months of the three years there, or a year and a half, I literally tried to do something new or different every single day. So It might be a different way home, meet with a different person, try a different food. It could be anything. I really had loose criteria around what I was exploring or experimenting with, but I really discernibly wanted to stay out of my comfort zone, which made for a much more fruitful experience. Well, and you had lots of opportunities for new all around, I suspect. So it wasn't so hard to find things. Right. Yeah. IBM gave me great grounding for business intelligence, building return on investment, business case development partnership with the line and really trying to drive and elicit change amongst a community that you're supporting. I had my bumps. I learned from those. Everything was instrumental. And it gave me such a good grounding, grounding for trying to... So I was the head of HR for IBM Japan, and it gave me the thirst or the hunger for trying to become CHRO and see if I could run at scale at a company. So then when cancer treatment centers came around, it felt right. It was purpose-based, passion, mission, and it was aligned with something that was personal and deep to me in that I lost my dad to lung cancer. 
so I could try to give back to a community that I care about. So there was a lot that was really nicely aligned with Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and it has been all of that. I've learned more than I thought possible. I've been able to experiment and employ a bunch of different things that I learned from the past and that we were exploring and playing with possibility for the future. So uh, I've gotten engaged in business direction and strategy, worked closely with the CEO and the C-suite. We're, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And we've recently been acquired. So we got acquired by City of Hope. And that and the, coming from IBM, I was frequently on the side of having been the buyer or the acquirer. Now I'm getting to experience the other side of that, having been acquired and what the dynamics there. And it's a, uh, another fascinating learning experience for me. Yeah. And using all of the experiences you've had to date to really help you lead through that and navigate that well. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, when we met, you shared a story. I want to go back to your IBM days because you shared this such a great story that really resonated with me. I have not stopped thinking about this story since you told me because there's so much in it to unpack. This presentation for International Women's Day. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. You know the story. (laughs) So, you know, I referenced being in Japan and trying to stay out of my comfort zone. Japan has so much opportunity with respect to diversity and continuing to make strides in that space. They've done a lot over the last 20 years and there's more to go. So I was doing a lot internally and externally, uh, trying to really be an advocate and a champion for change, uh, which was important a white American in Japan eliciting and trying to drive diversity. It felt important that we had people willing to step into those roles and be provocative in that setting. So one of the opportunities I had amongst a number of external events, one of them was internal. So we had a celebration for uh, March 8th, International Women's Day, 2018. And I had a, so this was almost three years in. So I was two and three quarters years into the job at that point. And I had a set of talking points of what we try to do internal to IBM and external to the market. So I was giving a speech to roughly 80 executives, let's call it 60 to 70 executives within IBM, senior leaders, and then some of the the male leadership in the organization. And I'd given the speech before, I was really comfortable with it. I knew that we'd tried to break ground and make some strides in the space. So I was proud of what we'd accomplished. And we were probably an hour into the meeting and and I was speaking in about 30 minutes and I just felt that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. It was looking backwards and building a case forward, but I, I had a gut instinct that I wanted to do something different and make it a little more meaningful or deeper. So <laughs> 30 minutes before I spoke, I put my presentation to the side and I started scribbling notes in a notebook and went with my gut. And I was ill-prepared, <laughs> underprepared. <laughs> I mean, it was personal, so I could I could tell the story and give the speech with relative ease, but it was deep. So I went with my gut. I did not take my notes up to the podium in front of roughly 80 people in the audience. And before I started, I broke down a little bit. And I said, this might be a really hard speech for me to give. And I paused and I tried to compose myself. And I started and I said, my grandma died this year. And I just kind of let it sit because I needed to let it sit because it hit me because it was my grandma who raised me. (laughs) Right. So I let it sit and I said, she died this year and she died angry. She died angry because there were things she wanted to do, comments she wanted to make, things she wanted to advocate for that she never took it upon herself to do. And I share that because I've worked with many of you in this audience and I know how amazing you are. Yeah. I've seen your work. I've seen your leadership. I've seen your accomplishments, but I also see that you hold yourself back. And while I'm telling a story about my grandma dying angry, 
I don't want you to leave your career angry and not having realized your full potential and the full impact that you as women leaders in this organization could have. And that was of utmost importance to me. And I wanted to make sure that I conveyed that to them and got that sentiment out. And then I went a little deeper and I talked, I blended some of the business context in, but it was slow. It was slow, one, because it needed to be. So English into Japanese is understood, but your pace has to be right. But it was also slow because it took me a while to really vocalize the words because of the sentiment behind them. Mm. And as I spoke, there were women in the audience who were, you could tell were touched, right? You could tell, I mean, some of them knew me, they knew, some of them knew a little bit about my background and my story, but you saw a couple of tears. I think it had a much more deep and meaningful impact than anything else I could have said in that moment. Yeah. Well, I had asked you, like, tell me about a pivotal moment. And that was one of the stories that first came to mind for you. And so what was it about that that was so pivotal for you? I have oft found that leadership or servant leadership requires both risk and an enormous amount of vulnerability. And boy, that put me right out there. And every time you don't succeed, every time you take a risk, right? It, it's, that's not how it works. If you did, you're not risking enough. But the vulnerability piece, it feels like the more vulnerable I am and the more I put myself out there, the more uh, receptivity there is. So after this session, I had predominantly our women leaders coming up and talking so beautifully about what that meant to them and how they'd internalized it and understood what I was trying to convey and were willing to take it on as their mission and challenge to try to do more, be more vocal and express more and lead more, which was wonderful. <laughs> Humorously, I also had one of the male counterparts in the meeting come and say, I'm not sure I understood your story. I think it was about your appreciation for your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> which is true also, but you've got language barriers, but there was a complexity that he didn't get. So you're going for a desired audience and you're expressing that vulnerability, but you also have to think about the rest of the audience. So, yeah. so I had a chance to kind of have a, a different discussion with him about the environment we needed to create, the leadership we needed to show, the championship and the advocacy and the risk we needed to take as male leaders to elicit something different for the future within Japan. Yeah, it's so good. I want to pause on that because there's something Zane about that that I think is really important. And I'm looking at my notes from when, when you and I first talked. And what I so appreciate about that is so often, like part of the risk in giving a presentation is I don't know how people are going to respond to it. Well, you weren't so concerned about that. It was for you, it was more important to be real, to connect, to be authentic. And so in doing that, you clearly had a big impact on many of the audience members, them coming up and telling you this. But there's this one audience member who didn't quite get the message. And of course, isn't that going to happen, right? The message isn't always going to land. What I love about the story is it doesn't feel like you got too cooked on that. It was kind of like, okay, you didn't spend a lot of time worrying about his not getting it or you're not trying to like beat your head against the wall, like making sure everybody gets it. But I think that's such an important thing. Like you're planting seeds and there are going to be times when the message isn't going to land on everyone. But you know what? It's going to connect with a lot of people. Isn't that, I mean, that's a great point to make. And I think we've all found that it's almost impossible to have full impact on the entire audience. <laughs> I have teenage kids. I have two. <laughs> and, I, and I think I say some wise stuff. And they're putting you through some shit, Zane, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know any audience that you've won the day with everybody there. And that can't be the thing you're focused on. I mean, right. if what you say and share and the vulnerability you express and the risk you've taken 
impacts a quarter of the audience. I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, just to get somebody in their head and provocative or thinking about what might be important or what change they might make from that, I think that's magic. I would rely on that every day. You got it. And I think even there's a huge win on you just showing up in such a real and authentic way, regardless of the outcome. Like that is to be celebrated. Yeah, that's such a great story. The, the courage that it took to like scrap the canned presentation and say, I'm going real here. That's so good. You know, I get asked, don't I get nervous or anxious before presentations? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. My hand was shaking going up on stage. My whole body was because what's going to happen here? As I'm walking up, like, what have I just done? That's so good. <laughs> yeah. But you take the risk and you lean in and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I keep trying to, you know, step up to bat and swing as hard as I can. So, and that will be an encouragement to all of us. Exactly. And the message itself. I mean, the spirit of that being like, hey, you are an amazing group of leaders, but I see you holding back. I mean, that just, that connects because we do, right? The fear, the doubt, just the stuff that hooks all of us and keeps us from being who we are. I still do. And that's uh, what a powerful message to share for that audience. And it's this feeling, I mean, I still hold back at times. I mean, it's this feeling that we have to become aware of and choose differently, right? So I try to recognize where I want to say no. (laughs) Well, I mean, when you called, I'm like, ooh. (laughs) But there's that movie, Yes Man or Yes. I try to just do that. And I think pays off and fruitfully more often than I would expect. It does. Yeah. What a great message. Okay. So then, so I know that there's another story just on the heels of this one that is with an individual, someone you were mentoring, but same message that you really encouraged her with like, Hey, you're awesome, but you hold back. So if you're willing, I'm going to do two shorts. I wish you would. And I'll blend from one to the other and end with the one you just referenced. Cause that yeah. is probably one of my favorite career stories. It's so good. So the intermediary one. So when you think about the change that we just talked about and trying to emote something different, I thought about it before we spoke about what can we do as leaders to drive change and then what can we do at an individual level. So from a leadership standpoint, I know one of the things that I was proud of in in Japan, you know, again, experimenting, exploring and seeing what's possible is we were working with women's groups within the company. And I had a roundtable where it was a high potential roundtable. And I'd asked, I understand you're all future promotions and high capability. If you've been offered opportunities, have you taken them? And, and if not, why not? And they said, well, we want to be able to do 100% of the job before we take it. And now I'll put this in context. It was a Japanese discussion, but you can understand the translation in some regards across the globe. So, and I said, well, that's interesting because tell me about your male counterparts. Would they take the job? Would they have to know 100%? Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> they would take the job regardless of whether they knew 100%. They would take the job if they didn't know 0% and just figure it out on the way. I'm like, okay, very interesting. So who's the stronger performer between you and your male counterparts? And and in Japan, I had 14 women <laughs> and completely avoid eye contact and look away from me, which was humorous, but yeah. telling, right? So I paused and said, I know that you're the stronger performer and you know you're the stronger performer. So my job as a head of HR here is to put the best person in the job, not the one who's most willing to take risk. So 
then we asked more questions and, you know, what is the risk orientation? What would help you get over the hurdle? And we had a really good dialogue. So I met with my team afterwards and we put a program together, right? Again, just playing around with possibilities. So we ended up doing something we called the move up program. And we said, okay, for a six month period, we want to provide you the promotion. We want you to take that job that you will or have been offered. We would like, we want to give you a salary increase associated with it. We're going to give you a mentor with whom you can meet biweekly for that six-month period, and we're going to do a quarterly HR check-in to make sure it's going well. And if, after that six-month period, you don't feel competent or capable of continuing to deliver in that promoted role or that higher role, we'll give you the old job back, but you maintain or keep your salary increase. Wow. And that was enough. It was enough to get people over the hurdle that they built and to experiment and try something new. And over 18 months, we promoted, we really, I don't want to get into numbers, but we nicely bolstered the pipeline for women into leadership in in Japan. And it was really important and meaningful. And then the most important thing to me is after that six month period, how many women do you think went back to their old job? None of them. Zero. Not a single one had gone back because they were that good and they were that competent. And we just needed to create an environment where we lowered the hurdle a little bit for them to be willing to take the chance to succeed. I freaking love that story so much. Well, and just by giving someone an out too, saying like, hey, it's up to you at six months to decide. I mean, the safety net that you provided is fabulous. Yeah. And we had a couple of trit, the company, but lower than our overall attrition rate. So, which was in Japan quite low. But so it wasn't that there was no fallout at all, but very little compared to the numbers we were able to build into the pipeline and elicit or try to drive towards future success. Mm. So that was at an organizational level. And then I'll twist it at a personal level. So we had an intern join the company a couple of years back to the IBM days, but we had an intern join the company from my alma mater a couple of years ago. And we had the most fascinating discussion of her interest and her passion. So. (laughs) And I could tell she was a little, I mean, she was a little shy and nervous talking to a VP coming from an internship. But I said, so tell me, what's your dream? And she goes, I'd love to be a motivational speaker. (laughs) That doesn't feel synchronous with the uh, timidity or the shyness that I've heard through the rest of the conversation. So I'm like, okay, let me flip the questions on you. What's your greatest fear? And she goes, heights. I'm like, perfect. That's perfect. You're going to go skydiving. And in doing so, you will conquer all fear and it, nothing, <laughs> having gone skydiving twice, once you jump out of a plane, everything else kind of pales in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, that's great. And she went, no, <laughs> definitively, absolutely, indefinitely, no. Okay. What's your second greatest fear? And she said, public speaking, <laughs> which you can only laugh at, right? Wow. So you want to be a professional speaker or coach and develop but your greatest fear is public speaking. So you realize the asynchronicity here, the dissimilarity that you can't do this. So I said, all right, so how, uh-huh. how are you going to accomplish this? And she didn't have thought out or a planned answer, which is not surprising. So I said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. You're here with us for two and a half months. What I would encourage you to do is take a new risk every single day, every day of this internship. And I said, it could be, meet a new person, put a proposal forth, have lunch with a VP. It could be a variety of things. And you hear this little similarity between what I employed for myself while in Japan of trying something new every day. So, and this goes back to habit. You can form a new habit in 30 days. So there's research and science behind some of this. 
But I said, so over the next two and a half months, I want you to take a new risk every single day. And when you take that risk, I want you to write about it and tell me about your experience. It doesn't have to be long, but give me a little bit of a summary of, of what you felt and how it went. So we, the subsequent 15 minutes was humorous. You know, she's like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not technically, I'm not doing anything to you. You're telling me what your dreams are and I'm giving you a path through which you can try to accomplish those. <laughs> but it's yours at your discretion. You don't need to do this. So do you want to or not? And, you know, over, over that 15 minute conversation she said, all right, I'll give it a go. So four or five days later, I haven't heard from her. So I haven't heard that she's done a risk. I haven't gotten a summary. I haven't heard it. So, so I sent her and I said, listen, I've got a big job and a ton of responsibility. This is important to me and I'm here for you, but you've got to show me that you're committed to it and doing it. And she goes, I thought you were kidding. It would go away. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, <laughs> but it's pretty accurate. So I said, no, I'm, I'm here and let's get started. So she did. So first it was smaller risks and, and I would applaud those. And I'd say, so once a week, take a bigger risk. And she started doing that. And we were about a month in and she said, and we were about a month in and she sent me a note and said, I'm really struggling. I can't do this. Let's talk tomorrow. So we scheduled time, but between when she said that she was struggling and when we met, I went back and I looked at her month of activity and I summarized it. I said, here are the people with, with whom you've met. Here's what you've done that was different than the past. Here are some of the things that you accomplished that you made out of expected to. So I, I'd had it categorized into three or four buckets in a synthesized form. So we got on the phone and she said, this is just too much. I can't do it. I'm spun up. I've got my job to do. And now I'm trying to do this also. And I said, well, your job is primary, right? So have you recognized what you've done in the last month? Let me share with you. And I sent it to her and gave her a chance to look at it and go through it. And she's, it's just too much. I can't figure it out. I said, okay, tell me what's too much. You know, let's be specific. Don't just say the whole thing is a bad idea. Tell me specifically what's too much. And she said, well, I just can't write up a summary every single day. Perfect. That's the only thing. Is there anything else? No, that's really it. I mean, I can, and I, I said, because the important thing is you continue to take a different risk every day. And she said, I can do that, right? I'm getting into that habit. I'm comfortable still doing so, but the summaries are just too much. What I did, what I learned, great. Got it. So let's renegotiate. And she said, Oh, I can do that. Yes. Yes, you can do that. I mean, because really the intent is for you to get closer to your dream and your goals, right? And I'd rather renegotiate with you than have you stop doing what you're doing because you've made a ton of progress. You recognize that, right? And she said, oh, absolutely, I see that. I see that I'm, I'm evolving here. So we did. We renegotiated and we agreed, she agreed to do weekly summaries. So every Sunday, I got a little bit of a summary that would say what she'd been doing. And her risk got bigger. Her stretch got more. And she was doing more and more activity. And it was so fundamentally rewarding to see just really amazing. So her summer came to a conclusion and she was part of a team of interns, probably 24, and they broke into three teams. So she was one pod of eight interns. And the most rewarding part of it is they nominated a narrator. So she became the narrator for the speech to do an end of summer discussion with the CHRO and all of her direct reports to conclude, here's what we did on a speed team project or on a, on a project oriented beyond the work they were doing. And so she was the narrator and which you know, you think about where she started, more timid, more shy. And I don't know that I would have ever seen her be in the narrator role. So two and a half months later, she did so. And she started off the conversation with the CHRO by saying, I want to talk about what I've learned this summer and how I've begun to experiment with risk, including having gone skydiving yesterday. Uh, oh my gosh. 
So I have this amazing picture and I sent it to you. Yeah, of her, you know, it's tandem because you can't go on your own yeah. until you learn what you're doing. So she's jumping out of a plane. She's got this big smile on her face. She embraced the risk. So she went from a woman who said definitively and definitely absolutely no at the beginning of the summer to exploring and experimenting with risk and, and vulnerability yeah. and trying to do new things and experimentation to at the end of the summer going skydiving and leading a presentation with our chief human resources officer. With IBM, oh my I said I still say, "Are it was twenty four years with IBM's chief human resources officer." Oh my gosh! And fabulous! I am so proud of her and what she's done and what she's accomplished. And subsequently, she came to work for the company and has done some of the things she really wanted to do in the future. So it's just one of those rewarding moments where you take a chance on somebody and you encourage them to get out of their comfort zone, or to uh, yeah, to your point, to not hold back. And she just blossomed, and it was amazing. Yeah, again, so many things about that story that I love. It does highlight so well just the spirit of the other stories. You're amazing, but you hold back. But the thing that so strikes me about that story is like her coming to you saying like, oh my gosh, these summaries are too much. And I think a lot of situations, mentors would just say, okay, like, well, you've done well. Good job. Thank you for that. End the project. But that's not what you did. You empowered her to renegotiate. You also highlighted for her, look at all these things you have done. And I suspect that helped her to get on a roll and to say like, okay, yeah. So here's what I can do. That renegotiating as a part of the process kept her going, which ultimately led to the skydiving. I don't know if she would have had that, right? Had you not had that conversation. I mean, in all of that, you think about trusting your gut, which I've tried to do more and more of throughout my career and take risks, show vulnerability, not hold back and renegotiate. I mean, all of those things that you've kind of highlighted at the different stories, but I employed all of those with her and in general in different settings throughout my career. But we just have to keep the more we stretch and we put ourselves out of our comfort zone. There's so much. I mean, say we fail. I failed so often. I've gotten really good at it. (laughs) So if I'm not failing in a big way once a month or once a quarter, I'm not risking enough. So I've gotten really comfortable with, so I'm either succeeding or I'm failing, but in failure, it's just learning. So I'm figuring out what didn't work. And by the time I've fallen down, I'm already course correcting and starting to get back up with a different plan. So as you fail more often, this is going to some of the time in Japan talking about risk and and failure and, and orientation after failure. But as I fail more often, I stop dropping the emotion associated with it, right? Because when you fail, you sit in and you stew it and you go, oh, what have I done? I'm never doing this again. And I can't do this. And, and you've got such a tendency to pull back and not risk anymore. Yeah. What I can tell you on the other side of that is the more you risk and the more you fail, you get really good at failure. You drop the emotion, you learn more, and you actually recover much more quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing I so appreciate, Zane, is you are modeling that. And then you are so encouraging that in the leaders that you work with. What a gift you are. Thank you for that. I mean, it's across all of these stories, that is a clear theme that emerges for me is that you were really empowering people to live that in creating a safety net for them to try and even with this last story, you talked about how at first, you know, she was taking a lot of smaller risks. So you were building her risk tolerance through those little things that added up then to this big monumentous experience that she had. I mean, we all get to where we are for certain reasons. I mean, I had the benefit of really good mentors who pushed and challenged me. And I, like many of us, feel a responsibility and an opportunity to give back and try to drive that into the future generation. So that's my opportunity. Yes. And you are. So thank you. Keep going. The world needs more of you. I'll be so grateful to see all of the 
thousands of people that continue to be impacted and lifted up by your influence. So thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for the opportunity to share stories. You're so good at it. You are such a good storyteller. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.